Welcome to the Accidental Muralist Podcast. My name is Pam Concier. I am with All Hands Art, and today I thought I would honor Black History Month by giving you eight ideas, eight ways to disrupt white supremacy. I got going, and there are a lot more than eight, but here's, here's what I got. Number one, slow down. White supremacy likes to quantify and measure everything in terms of productivity. So instead of thinking of time equaling money, you could think of time equaling love. I heard somebody quoted who I think it was somebody who survived um, a concentration camp and she asked, how do you spell love? The answer is T. I-M-E. So you might start by looking at how you spend your time and see if that reflects what you love. Maybe you can make adjustments starting then. Yeah, I think I'll just leave that one there. Number two, use your blame and resentment as signposts. White supremacy is really into blaming other people for everything, other groups of people. Those people are the problem, and that's who our enemy is, and here's why they're making our lives miserable. So in order to disrupt that, I learned this when I was married. (laughs) Um, I was filled with blame. I got really good at blaming because it seemed like my husband was the one you know, making my life difficult. And as long as I kept within that mindset of blaming him, like if only he wouldn't act this way, then we could get along and our life would be better, our marriage would be better, our family would be happier. What that blame did is it kept me in a state of inaction And it wasn't until I took a good hard look at my own contribution and how blame was just keeping me from doing anything about it. It it kept me from my own agency. So once I realized that I could do something about it, I got a divorce. That was how I changed the situation and got out of blame. Um, You don't have to be that drastic, but anytime you feel yourself blaming somebody else or some situation or some group of people use that to take a good look at yourself use it as a mirror to look at what you might not be doing in your own life to change the situation that is that is causing that discomfort and that blame another super useful tool is resentment Um, i felt a lot of resentment in my former work life. I was a school teacher and I loved it in many, many ways. It was a great career and a, I had a good community and I felt really committed to the families that I worked with and to my colleagues. Um, but I would get really resentful of all the work that it took and the work I had to take home. And I was teaching kindergarten, which I make it, I don't want to feed into that stereotype of like, oh, kindergarten's easy and the higher you get in grades, the harder the job is, because I would argue that that is not the case. 
I was resentful, for example, of how little planning time kindergarten teachers got. We got like one hour a week, if we were lucky, to plan every subject for all day. That made me resentful. I would be resentful of, you know, not getting enough support. We didn't have enough support services for teachers and for students, and that would make me resentful because it all fell on me. Um, the answer, I did a lot of things to try to change the situation in education and to make things better at my school. Ultimately, I needed to change careers, and so my resentment um, led to burnout and that led to health issues and that led to realizing that I really needed a different career. So again, your choice may not be so drastic, but you can use your resentment as a magnifying glass to really take a close look at what you can change in your situation because resentment just eats away at you. It doesn't really solve the problem that you're in. Number three, Try to sync up with nature, including the outer world and your own body. The, the earth is a macrocosm, your body is a microcosm of the same thing. We're, we're all nature. Um, white supremacy loves to commodify nature and break everything into pieces and separate the head from the rest of the body and put the mind as superior to everything else and reason and rational thinking and and the white supremacy loves to commodify natural resources and strip mine this and sell that and um, use pesticides and grow this and you know sort of treat nature like a factory to keep extracting things from and use bodies like factories to keep extracting things from and to make hierarchies where these bodies are worth more than those bodies and these bodies are good for labor to serve us and those bodies are are worth more because they are beautiful and white and we'll put them on pedestals and so on so what you can do to disrupt this system is to try to sync up with nature. There's a lot of ways you can do that. You could start tuning into the phases of the moon, like pay attention to when it's a full moon and when, and just be aware of that and try to find the moon and just make that part of your day, knowing when, what cycle the moon is in. Um, same thing with the sunrise and sunset. You could get up early and watch the sky turn light and notice when the birds start flying around and at the other end of the day, pause and watch dusk turn into dark and thank the day for what it's brought you and acknowledge the night um, welcome the cold in wintertime uh, rather than resisting it or resenting it. Just light it up with candles and warm blankets and just understand that winter is a time to look inward, maybe sleep a little bit more, rest a little bit more, eat hearty soups and 
things will cycle back out in spring and summer when when the world becomes more active but that's a necessary part of the cycle it's not all meant to be methodically the same like white supremacy might want us to squeeze every last inch out of every time of the year but that's denying the natural cycles of things so sync up with nature and understanding that that's how nature stays balanced is by having these cycles and honoring those cycles can help us stay balanced as well number four Listen to and learn from those with less privileged identities. I know that for me, this is a tricky one sometimes because I want to make sure that everybody knows I'm a really good ally and I'm being super conscientious. And sometimes I find myself getting defensive or wanting to explain that, no, actually, I, you know, just showing how aware I am. Um, but I also, on the other end of that, get really irritated when a man, for example, will hear what I have to say about my experience as a woman and will try to tell me that actually, you know, men go through that too and it's not, and sort of doing the thing that I do from the other end. So all of us could benefit from just being quiet and listening and trying to be a student and learn and as Brene Brown says, I think she says, I'm here not to be right, but to get it right. Something like that. We can, we can recognize that we have things to learn. White supremacy likes to know all, be all, be the authority on everything, not feel the need to listen to other people's opinions. And if we want to dismantle it, we really need to just be quiet and listen to those who belong to groups that are more marginalized than the ones that we belong to. Yeah, just work on listening without needing to insert yourself and your opinions into the middle of it. Number five, make things with your hands. Of course, this is one of my favorites. Um, I would say preferably without the use of a lot of technology. I understand digital art is a thing, but I I don't know that there's anything that replaces just holding materials in your hands, whether it's sewing a quilt or painting a picture or planting seeds in the ground or chopping vegetables into the soup pot or hammering nails into the wood or shaping clay into a bowl. Make something with your hands because that's a way to center yourself and white supremacy would love you to be off balance and feeling broken so that capitalism can sell you things to fix yourself. Using your hands to make things kind of taps you into your own humanity and creativity and it's very healing. I could say a lot more about that but I think you probably have heard me talk about that before. So make things with your hands. Number six, wonder and wander. I just like how those words kind of go together. Let your mind and your feet travel without a timer, without needing to measure how far you ran that day, without berating yourself for daydreaming, um, without worrying about 
being productive and like, oh my God, I'm wasting time because I just sat there watching the birds outside. Like that is an awesome use of your time. Such a good use of your time. Uh, white supremacy would have every minute of your day be measured and quantified and judged for how useful it was. Did you commodify that minute? And this is something we would do well to break free of. So to disrupt white supremacy, daydream, please go out for a walk and just wander around the neighborhood and notice things. Let yourself rediscover awe. Just wonder about things. How did this get here? What does this thing do? And don't rush to Google to search everything. Just let your mind wonder and be amazed at what, you know, like how candles are made. That's so cool that somebody thought of this thing that could provide light and, you know, then slowly it wears itself away. That's pretty cool. Everything around us is, is really just kind of amazing. So slow down and notice the little things. Number seven, sit in silence otherwise known as meditation, but you don't have to think about it that way because I know that sort of blocks some people. But just sit in the quiet. I think this is the only way that we can really get to know ourselves, and I do believe that that is our one main purpose on this earth, is to understand ourselves and use our natural gifts for service to make the world a better place. So what I what helped me get over my mental blocks about meditation is somebody suggested that um, as you watch your thoughts go through your head, and we're not trying to resist having thoughts or judge the thoughts that come into our head or tell ourselves we're bad meditators because we can't stop our mind from wandering. That's not the point. What works for me is to notice my thoughts and then sort of um, categorize them, which sounds counterintuitive, but if I'm sitting in silence and then something will pop into my head and then I can notice, oh, there's my planning brain. You know, I have this project coming up and I see I'm starting to plan for it. And then I can let that thought go. Oh, here's my to-do list running through the checklist of stuff I need to do around the house. There's that brain. Oh, there's my organizing brain. You know, I have this article I want to write and, you know, I'm mapping out my argument. Oh, here's my persuasive brain. I have this point that I want to make to the world or to my partner or to somebody. And here's, here's my mind sorting out all my arguments. And when I, when I can notice and sort of apply that type of label to them. It creates a little bit of distance between me and my thoughts. It reminds me that I am not my thoughts. I'm the observer of my thoughts. And it also sort of lets me get to know myself on an intimate level and kind of see patterns. And because our minds are so powerful and our consciousness is so powerful, we can also disrupt those thought patterns but first we have to become aware of them. So spend some time in silence and just notice, get to know yourself that way. And number eight, actually I think I saw a ninth one here on my page. I just didn't put a number by it. So I'm gonna change this to nine things. Number eight, 
practice self-compassion. As you're meditating, there will be a lot of things to berate yourself about. Um, I, I wrote about this in a post a little over a year ago, I think. I'll link it below. Kristen Neff is somebody who studies self-compassion, and it has been confirmed in research that counter to what we probably grew up thinking, when we berate ourselves and just try to make ourselves work harder and shame ourselves for not doing better and, you know, just when we are trying to treat ourselves like a evil slave driver taskmaster, that is counterproductive. It does not make us happier for one thing, but it also doesn't make us more productive. It doesn't improve our performance. It usually does the opposite. But what can help is applying self-compassion. And she breaks it down in a, in a very simplified way into three steps. One, notice that you are hurting, you're suffering, or notice that you're berating yourself. You know, there's something going on. So just paying attention is the first thing. Notice that there's something causing you discomfort. Two, recognize that because of that exact thing, that is what makes you belong to the human race. Welcome aboard, you're one of us. It, it, it actually makes you belong rather than making you, you know, a freak. And then number three, talk to yourself the way you would talk to a dear friend. I, I, often, <laughs> I talk to myself out loud a lot, especially when I'm alone in my studio. And sometimes I say, you know, I laugh at myself, hey, Pammy. You know, and I just, I, it just takes the edge off of things. We're all trying, we're all doing the best we can. And we might as well acknowledge that, you know, we're just trying, we screw up and it's not that big of a deal. So talk to yourself like you would talk to a dear friend, not like an abusive, harassing person, because that is not helpful. And then I also wrote and forgot to put a number next to it, find joy. Joy is about, I think I wrote about this last time, joy is about the most anti-white supremacist thing I can imagine in the entire world. Like white supremacy and joy cannot even really be in the same sentence together, except for I just put them into one as opposites. So if you can become really good at cultivating joy, just finding it in the smallest things, it's usually free, which makes it a little bit anti-capitalist, which is even better. I'm not talking about joy, you know, buying a $48 ticket to a theme park. That's not the kind of joy that I'm looking for, although that might sound joyful because we haven't been able to do anything like that for a long time in this pandemic. But joy just, you know, like being entertained by the squirrels in the backyard that are doing incredible acrobatics on the fence or from rooftop to rooftop or slowing down at a meal to just really enjoy the taste of the food instead of multitasking and watching the screen while you're eating and not really paying attention to what's going into your mouth. Notice, oh, here's a good challenge for you. Notice when your body feels really good and healthy, like when sometimes my hips ache, so in the morning when I wake up and they don't, which is really most of the time, I usually give myself a little like, wow, my hips feel great today. And that's, that's a little bit of joy, like, ooh, no pain. And I really go through most of my life without a lot of pain, so it makes me really bummed when I do have pain. And then 
that reminds me to really appreciate the times that I don't have pain in my body. So just find joy in the little things, the, the string of lights that lift your spirits a little bit. I'm big into lights and candles. The artwork that your kid made or the, all the funny things they say or the things your pet does that are just ridiculous. Because finding joy in those everyday little things is super anti-white supremacist. White supremacy just wants us to sort ourselves into who is better than who is better than who is better than who. And hustle for your worthiness and compare yourself to all the riches and beauty that that person has that you don't have and make you really discontent and want to buy more stuff to make you feel better and look better. And so joy is a, a very disruptive thing in a, in a good way. So funny thing, but when I started editing this, I thought of something else that seemed really important to include, so I'm adding a number 10. <laughs> number 10, this to me might be the most important thing, is feel your feelings. If, if you need to do this in therapy, take that seriously and get the support you need, but um, we, we need to stop being afraid of our emotions. Our emotions, as Michael Mead, one of my favorite podcasters, says, our emotions are full of energy and information. Emotion, I think that's the motion part of the word, has energy in it. And they are messages from our true self, from our core. And to suppress them is to shoot the messenger and to miss the point of the message that our our body or our true self was trying to convey. White supremacy, like the only way that you could inflict such cruelty on other people and claim power over somebody is to cut yourself off from your own emotions, to dehumanize yourself so that you can dehumanize others. And we all fall in this scale somewhere. Um, so the more we can just feel our feelings, the better off we'll be. And there is the irony is that white supremacy would have us in some kind of stoic state of non-emotionality. And I think that is really just a bundle of fear, which is the ironic part is that it's, it's fear parading as manliness, and calling emotions weak and feminine and you know soft and wrong, but that's fear of that thing. So do yourself a healthy favor by feeling things. And I think we would need a whole other episode to talk more about how to do that. But um, some of the other things that I mentioned in this list are ways to get you there. Just the wonder, the awe, the slowing down, tuning inward, all that helps. And another thing I noticed and when I was thinking about this after listening to myself in the editing process, I used the word slave driver in talking about self-compassion. And think of that word, we throw it around a lot, but slave driver, slave driver, that is literally like the birthplace of white supremacy, who were the first white supremacists, they were slave owners, slave drivers. So 
that word made me pause and think about how we might sometimes flippantly use that word to describe ourselves when we're working really hard or being some kind of taskmaster to ourselves and others. So that would be a really good clue if you find yourself thinking like a slave driver or acting like one. That's probably not a behavior that would be healthy to continue. Um, and as I, as I thought about this more and more, I kept coming up with, as you can see, more and more and more and more ideas. But instead of giving them all to you, I thought I would make this a little bit interactive. So for my next post, which will be a written blog post on March 3rd, I invite you to email me your ideas for other ways to disrupt white supremacy. And I also want to say that I fully understand that it's our institutions that need to change. But I think if we can learn to recognize white supremacy in ourselves and heal that, that's the way we'll be able to see what needs to change in the world. So I'm not ignoring the fact that we have these giant institutional um, issues that we need to address. But when we feel powerless sitting in our homes, especially under a lockdown, thinking, well, what can I do to, you know, this white supremacy issue is so huge, like they're storming the Capitol and what's that about and what can I do? This is what I'm trying to convey is here are 10 things you can do from, you know, your own neighborhood and inside your own home and inside your own body. And that can ripple outward and show us what exactly needs to change. And I don't know if the institution can change without us changing individually. So I want, I want to invite you to brainstorm more ideas of how to disrupt white supremacy. You can email your ideas to me, pam at allhandsart.com. Or if you're listening to this podcast on my website, you can leave a comment below. Um, or you can, you'll, if you're getting this in an email, you can reply to that email. And I will include some more ideas in my blog post on March 3rd um, with your additions. So let's, um, this is picking up the spirit of last year's theme of imagination. And let's engage our imaginations and think of thousands of ways that we can disrupt white supremacy. It's really the only way we're going to move forward in this country and all be healthier for it. Thank you for listening. I'm Pam Concier. All Hands Art is my business name, and this is the Accidental Muralist Podcast. And if you found this episode useful or interesting, I hope you'll share it with a friend and make sure you're signed up for my email list which you can do on my website, allhandsart.com.